cross-cultural work is hard. I'm just going to say that right out of the gate. Cross-cultural work is hard. And I would know, before I was a pastor, I spent many years of my life running what I called a, a non-profit social justice travel magazine. That was what I did. It was called World Next Door. And uh, yeah, I've got a, a few photos to show you of kind of what, what I looked like back in those days. No beard, whatever. It's a whole different thing. The idea with my nonprofit, which I know I've spoken about before, but the idea was that I would travel around the world and I would, I would embed like a journalist in different cultures and different locations and with camels and all, all of that. And I would try to get as deep into the culture as I could and try to understand what life was really like there. And I, I would eat local foods and take public transportation and sleep in whatever conditions the people there slept in as, as a way of trying to understand both what's really going on there and to be able to see firsthand what, like, what is God doing in this world? How is he combating injustice? What is he doing? What does the kingdom of God look like in all these different contexts? That was my, my whole deal for many years. And most of the time when I would travel, I would go by myself. I was the only American for miles. So I got very immersed in a bunch of different cultures. And in case you're curious, I, I, when I ended that season of my life, I did some calculations and I realized that in my six years running World Next Door, I visited 20 unique countries on five continents. I took 147 different airplanes. I spent a grand total of two full years, if you added it all up, two full years of my life living outside of the country. So take that and you add that to my year that I spent in Kenya and my three months I spent in India before that. And, and you can put all that together and understand that I know what I'm saying when I tell you that cross-cultural work is hard, okay? It didn't get any easier after all those years. Cross-cultural work is difficult. I'm speaking from experience. People, humans in different cultures have different values, turns out, have different perspectives, uh, different beliefs frankly, different ways of understanding reality. And one of the most amazing things that, that happened to me over those years of traveling the world was that I became aware of just how, how much my own worldview was shaped by my culture, right? Things that are invisible to me. I had lenses with which I viewed the world, and it became very, very clear as I got, well, frankly, kept bumping up against the cultures and the worldviews of other places. My worldview frequently clashed with those of others. And I'll give you an example. There's a, uh, one of the ways of describing American or Western culture is something called time orientation. We are a time-oriented culture. And I think you understand what that is because, you know, we think of time as a resource. We are driven by the clock. We waste time. We spend time. Our, our lives are kind of geared around the time, the, the clock. What time is it? Well, in a lot of other cultures in the world, especially in the developing world where I was spending time, they're not time-oriented. They are what's called event-oriented. Event-oriented means that they're not thinking about what time it is. They're just thinking about who am I with? Where am I? What's going on? It's event-oriented. They're not driven by the clock. Well, in Kenya, when I spent time living in Kenya, this played out in what everybody there calls Kenyan time. Kenyan time. And I'm sure you could think of, you've probably experienced Guatemalan time or, or you know, whatever, Jamaican time, whatever it is. This is a very common thing, but in Kenya it was called Kenyan time. And put very simply, from my perspective, what that meant, Kenyan time meant that everybody showed up late for everything. And it was annoying. I mean, I would, we would do some church event or some party and it started at five and it got to five and there'd literally be no one there. 
I mean, the worship services started with just the worship band on, on, on stage. It was wild. Five o'clock, people would start trickling in, start rolling in around 5.45. So you can imagine how I felt about that. It's annoying. It galled. It was like galling to me because what does it say to me as an American, as a time-oriented person, that says, you don't respect me because you're not respecting my time, right? You're wasting my time. That was, it was a conflict. It was a, it was a really difficult thing. And I'm going to be honest that I significantly felt levels of resentment towards my Kenyan friends for a while because of this, this cultural difference. Have I mentioned that cross-cultural work is hard? It is hard. It's hard. But what if I told you that today, today, uh, as I near 40, and I, I look back on this season of my life, today, I actually think that Kenyan time is a gift. Kenyan time has actually been a gift that God has used to shape me and make my life better. Didn't happen overnight, but it happened. I see it as a gift. And what if I told you that I think that the gifts that, that many different cultures bring to the table might just be the key to grace becoming the church that God wants us to be? I believe that. Maybe you don't believe that yet, but I want to show you today why I think that and where I'm coming from when I say that. So here's what we're going to do. This is the fourth week of our series, Make Room, and we are going to continue talking about one of our core values as a church. We make room. We make room. We will become a spiritual family that doesn't look the same, think the same, talk the same, or have the same age or abilities. We will invite one another into full love and participation in the diverse and the inclusive kingdom of God. Now, if you've been here for the last couple weeks, you know that we began the series by talking about how we make room as a church for people with disabilities, right? How do, we, how do we elevate the gifts that every single person has as a part of the church? And by the way, if you didn't hear last week's message by, by Reverend Milton Keyes, oh my goodness, like, right? Wasn't it amazing? If you, if you haven't heard it yet, you've got to go back and watch it. Milton is a, a, uh, he's a pastor, he's a seminarian, he's getting his doctorate this year. He had, it was born with cerebral palsy, and oh my word, his perspective on what it means for the church to make room for people with disabilities, it's, it's incredible. It was probably one of the more memorable sermons I've ever heard. I'm not going to forget it anytime soon. So go back and watch that if you missed it. But bottom line, bottom line, here's what we've been talking about through all these weeks. If we want to grow, if we want to grow, I fully believe that we've got to make room for the gifts of everybody. And perhaps in some way that actually makes sense when we think about people with disabilities, but today we're going to kind of turn a corner and go into something which I, may be even more complicated and difficult, which is how do we make room for the gifts that God has given to other cultures, other nationalities, other ethnicities? How do we do that? Well, to find an answer, we are going to look at another letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. That'll be page 957 in the the house Bibles in the seat in front of you if you want to look it up there. Um, But we're going to read this together. And while you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you for the gifts that you have given grace in so many ways. uh, We are able to talk about making room because you've already brought so much to fruition through the the very meager efforts that we've had in the past to make room. Now, Father, I really truly believe that you are calling us to something new, that you are calling us to deepen what we've already begun in, in, in ways that may 
challenge us and yet ways that will transform us. And so, Father, as we explore this concept today, would you go ahead of us? Would you, with your Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say? I pray, Father, in these moments I would simply disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. Would we have ears to hear what it is that you would have us hear? I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we read in Ephesians, which is another letter by Paul, that he uses this analogy to describe the church. He talks about the church as a body, a body, and all the different parts of the body have different gifts to make the body strong. They have to work together for that to happen. And he uses that same metaphor here. So let's, let's read this in verse 12. Paul says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. All right, we'll pause there for a second. Again, right here, we see the same theme that I I keep bringing up week after week. It's a theme that weaves throughout the entire Bible, and it's this, that in the kingdom of God, in the church, uh, we see a both powerful unity and striking diversity, right? Like what we just read. There is one spirit. There's one spirit that, that unifies everything, everybody. We are unified in that. But in becoming one, we don't lose our distinctiveness. Verse 13, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. Each of us as individuals remain unique, even in our unity. Or as Milton said last week, God's making gumbo with the church, right? He's making gumbo. Gumbo as a dish really only makes sense because of each of the very unique contributions that each ingredient makes to the whole dish. God's making gumbo. Well, here's what I would say to take us to the next level on this. I believe that when it comes to other cultures and other nationalities here at Grace, God's making gumbo. Still, God's making gumbo. So let me give you a little bit of history about why I think that's the case. When Grace started back in 1991, we were born out of a tradition of what is sometimes called uh, representational missions. Representational missions. Put simply, we, had, we would send a bunch of missionaries out to go and engage with the world, and they would go do it for us. We would support them. They would go to far reaches of the world, and that was how we engaged with the world as a church. We sent missionaries to do it for us. But over time, and and pretty quickly at Grace, this began to shift into something that's called participative missions. Participative missions. In other words, we participate in the missions that we do. So, for example, we began to think of how can we get our people to engage with the world themselves, not just people far off, missionaries far off. So we started doing a lot more short-term trips. Our people would go out into the world and, and be exposed to different things and be changed and transformed. We once sent an, like uh, dozens and dozens of grace attenders to live in Russia for an entire year when the Iron Curtain fell. I mean, like crazy stuff like that. We also began having partnerships. Now, partnerships, uh, these became very important to us to understand what God was doing in the world. But some of them, like our partnership with Nairobi Chapel in Kenya, were truly a two-way street. A two-way street. We, we didn't just help them help the, the church in Africa. They shaped us. We, we would send interns back and forth. We, our, our leaders would meet with one another regularly, and, and they would shape one, one, one another in their theology and their perspective. And uh, frankly, we, we you know, had 
sharing each other's pulpits. Sorry, I was trying to remember. Sharing each other's pulpits, like we, we were shaping each other's congregations. So all that to say, as time went on at Grace, that idea of, of engaging with the world, it wasn't just missionaries doing it for us. It started to become the people of Grace ourselves. We were starting to engage with the world. But over the last 10 to 15 years, I'm noticing that something really unique is beginning to happen here. Over the last decade or so, what I've started to notice is that because of the care center, for example, and because of our partnerships with these other organizations, and frankly, just because of our rapidly globalizing world and the fact that, that the demographics of this area are changing so much, what's starting to happen is that people from all over the world, people from South America and Africa and Eastern Europe and Asia are starting to live here and call Grace Church their home. It's actually beginning to happen. They, they're not just visiting. They are now living here, and this is their church. This is their, their, uh, their community. And so for the first time in our church's history, the world has begun to come to us. Right? At one point, we were sending missionaries to engage the world, and then, and then our people were beginning to go and engage the world, but now the world is coming to us. Grace now. We all have the same spirit, but grace is now made up of some very unique cultures. Now, I see this as an incredible opportunity, which we'll talk about, but I'm just going to acknowledge right out of the gate, this is also an incredible challenge. This is difficult, because as I've said, cross-cultural work is hard, and now we might all have to do some of it. So it's a challenge. So I guess the question to start right with is, if this is true, if this is happening here, then what does it mean for us as a church to make room for all these other cultures that are now here? Well, let's keep reading and, and we'll, we'll answer that question or try to. Verse 14. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. So let's talk about this this metaphor that Paul's using, this, this metaphor of the body. I, I get why Paul uses it to describe the church. I think it's important because elsewhere in, in the New Testament, when the church is described, it's often used with metaphors that make all of the individual parts kind of indistinguishable, right? Like a, like a flock of sheep or branches on the true vine or a field of wheat. Those are, those are things where each of the, the individual parts are kind of the same, but not with a body. Not with a body. No, in a body, every part has a unique role to play. The body is not complete without all these different parts. An eye is necessary to see. An ear is necessary to hear. And they can't do each other's jobs, right? There is only, there is only one right kneecap or, or what's this thing called? Elbow? Yeah, there's only one. So you got it. Well, there's two, but each one has a different job to do, right? You get what I'm saying. As, as Paul says in verse 18, God has put each part just where he wants it. That's how a body works. So here's what I believe. 
If God has gifted Grace Church in 2023 with people from many different cultures and many different worldviews and even different languages, if that's what he has brought to grace, if that was his design, if he put every part just where he wants it, then we are not going to be complete as a body if everybody just goes off and does their own thing. We, we need to think about what does it mean to be a complete body. This is why, by the way, maybe you don't know this, this is why we sometimes sing in Spanish. This is why we have Spanish translation going on right now during our 11 o'clock service. If you see people with headsets, they're listening to this message in Spanish. We do that because it would be so tempting, so tempting to just take, let's say, our, our sizable growing Latino congregation and say, you know what, you guys can go and do your own thing. Go be your own church. That would be tempting. But that's not what we are doing because God has brought this community here and we want to be one body. God has brought them here and now look, they are us. It's not, it's not them and us anymore. It's just us. And we've got to deal with that. We've got to deal with that because God, yeah. This seems to be exactly what God has designed. So if we want to grow as a church in Christ, then we've got to make room for the gifts of everybody, and that includes the gifts of people from cultures that are not our own. That's how we make this body healthy. That's how we grow. And here's why I believe this is the case. Even though it seems ridiculous and impossible, here's why I believe this is the case and why it's true. Because this is exactly what I've experienced in my own life, in my own faith. I mentioned Kenyan time before, right? Kenyan time and how I would get so upset when everybody would show up late to everything in Kenya. Well, over the years, over the years, as I spent time living in Kenya and especially in, in Kibera slum in Nairobi with my dear friend, Pastor Fred, I began to pay attention. What was it that made him tick? What was it that made him, him how did he see the world in his event-oriented worldview? I paid attention not just to my cultural values, but to his. And I began to notice something. We would often go on uh, home visits. We'd visit with his congregation and we'd pray for people and listen to them. And, and sometimes there would be something that I knew was coming right after that and I knew what time it was. And so I'd be checking my watch the whole time thinking, we are going to be late. We are going to be late. Oh, I can't believe we're going to, we're still talking. We need to go. We're going to be late to this thing. Because what? I'm a time-oriented American. But not Pastor Fred. When we were in these settings, Pastor Fred would be totally dialed in. He's completely focused on the person sitting right in front of him. My mind is miles away, but he's right there in that room. And for the first time in my life, I started to think perhaps, perhaps my ruthless time orientation is not always a virtue. Maybe my, my enslavement to the clock was actually standing in the way of me experiencing true compassion. I'm telling you, it was a wake-up call for me. I'd never really thought about it in those terms before, but for the first time in my life, I started to think, what if I wasn't so time-bound? Maybe I had something to learn from Pastor Fred and his event-oriented culture. And so I began to make some changes. I began to, to notice in my life when I was letting my, my enslavement to the clock rule the day, and I started to pay more attention, try to be more present with who I was with. Now, look, I'm still an American, all right? You can, you can take the American out of America, but you can't take America out of, I don't know how that goes, whatever, but you can't take the something, something, something. I'm still an American. I'm still time-oriented. You can't just change your, your cultural values without like some fundamental thing happening. 
So I'm not trying to say that I'm a completely different person, but let me tell you this. Since those days in Kibera with Pastor Fred, I, and especially now that I've become a pastor, I don't wear a watch. I don't wear a watch and I keep my phone tucked away whenever I'm in a meeting because I want to be fully present like Pastor Fred is. I want to be dialed in. I want to be there, not a mile, million miles away thinking about what's coming next. That changed me. And I think I'm a, better, I'm a better person. I'm a more loving person. I think I'm a little bit more like Jesus than I would have been before. Now, I'm not saying any of this to pat myself on the back. Like, look, look at me. I'm so much better. No, what, if anything, what this has done is show me how much farther I have to go. I mean, I'm, I'm very aware now after all my, my travels around the world of just how limited my own cultural perspective is. I'm very aware of my shortcomings. No, I say all this. I say all this to say, I never would have even known there was a problem if I hadn't spent time learning from Pastor Fred. I could have never figured this out on my own because you can't see your own cultural biases, right? You're blind to them because they are just the lens that you see the world. So I never would have changed if I hadn't made room for Pastor Fred's perspective. I would have just gone on enslaved to the clock, getting ticked off at all the Kenyans who showed up late to things, and ignoring the people who were right in front of me, because that was my cultural bias. My Kenyan friends, my Kenyan friends and their cultural values were a gift that God gave me to make me a more loving person. It was a gift. And here's why I say all this, because I think that that can be true for all of us, individually and as a church. Our bodies have many parts but God has put each part just where he wants it. Just take a second and imagine with me. Imagine with me how, how beautiful this community would be, how Christ-like we would be if we were dedicated to learning at the feet of people who are nothing like ourselves. Just imagine. Imagine if the, uh, the hyper-individualists among us were to pay attention and learn, together, uh, learn togetherness from our Latino community here at Grace. Just imagine, I mean, think about it. Like, I, I know we're all like this. I, I tend to just, when I'm done with church, I just want to go home, back to my cave, back to my castle, and just disconnect from people. But not our Latino friends. They stay, they linger, they talk, they're in each other's lives. What if we as a church learned how to be together in this isolated, lonely time? What a gift. They're here. We can learn from them if we have that posture. Imagine uh, another example. Imagine if the, uh, the post-enlightenment rationalists among ourselves, I apologize to whoever is doing Spanish translation today, I'm sorry. Post-enlightenment rationalism, what if we were to pay attention and to listen and learn from the voices of Christ followers here at Grace who are from India or Africa or, or uh, the Caribbean and listen to how they understand their interactions with the unseen world? It's different than ours. So what might we learn about how to interact with God's spirit and the spiritual realm if we just pay attention? How might their cultural perspective help the rest of us? Or one more example. Imagine, imagine reading and studying scripture through new cultural lenses. Imagine interpreting a, a miracle of Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes with Middle Eastern values. What might we see? Or how about learning new perspectives about some of the sacraments like communion through the eyes of someone who grew up in the Eastern Orthodox Church in Russia? I bet they've got a different perspective. What, would, what might they teach us? Or maybe reading a parable of Jesus alongside someone who has literally worked as a migrant day laborer. 
How might that change our perspective? How much richer would our, would our understanding of Scripture be? My point is, we don't have to imagine because this is actually possible. It's possible because of who God has shaped this community to be. The parts that he has put exactly where he wants them. The world has come to Grace Church. It's just beginning, but I don't think it's going to stop. I don't think it's going to stop. Individuals and families and communities with unique perspectives and ideas and assumptions and values and worldviews, they are, all of these different cultures are bringing unique gifts to our table. It's like Christmas morning. There's so many gifts here. God has put each part just where he wants it, and I think he wants those cultures here. Our body, our body doesn't have to just be an ear or a right elbow. We can be complete. The question is, will we make room as a church for those who are different than ourselves? Or maybe, maybe a more appropriate question is, can we? Can we make room? I mean, do we have it in us? I've now said it several times. Cross-cultural work is hard. Where do we even begin with something like this? Because like, if this is going against the, the fiber of our basic human perspectives on the world, how in the world are we going to be able to make progress? Well, let's read just a few more verses. I think I've got a response to that. Verse 22. Paul goes on. In fact, he says, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts that we regard as less honorable are those that we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Now, Paul here is playing with the idea of, well, frankly, the private parts of, of the body. Even though these are the parts that, that we are most likely to want to hide from the rest of the world, if you put it another way, they're also the parts that we take extra care to clothe. We're very, very careful to make sure we've, you know, covered those parts uh, up. So, I think Paul might be stretching the metaphor a little bit here, honestly. I think he might be taking it a bit too far, but you get the point that he's trying to make. It's the same thing that I was going on and on about a couple weeks ago uh, that when I was, you know, yelling scripture. Because in the kingdom of God, at its core, in the kingdom of God, in the church, the first are last. The first are last and the last are first. The weakest are honored and esteemed. That's just, that's just the kingdom that Jesus brought. I mean, Paul said it himself, God chose the things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. It is not hard to understand how we, as humans, naturally, naturally see other cultures as inferior to our own, right? That's just natural, as foolish, as weird, as wrong. That's how I thought about Kenyan time. They were wrong to be late to stuff. It's natural. It's not hard to understand. But if it's true, what I said, that, that there's great value in learning at the feet of other cultures than our own, if that's true, and if it's true that other cultures than our own are now a part of this church, then this idea right here, I think this is our starting point. This is our starting point. Verse 24, 
God has put the body together such that extra care and honor are given to those parts that have less dignity. Or I might add, those parts that we might naturally assume have less dignity. Making room for other cultures than our own means giving those extra cultures extra honor and care. Individually, it means humbling yourself and elevating the voice and the influence of others in your heart. I know I'm a broken record here, but it is exactly what Paul says in Philippians 2. Be humble, he says, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Yet again, we are talking about self-giving love here. That is the posture that will allow us to become the church that God has designed us to be. Self-giving love with other cultures. Self-giving love with disabilities. Self-giving love. Now look, I'm not naive. It may seem naive sometimes. I'm not naive. I'm not naive. Cross-cultural work is hard. Have I mentioned that? It's hard. After all my time traveling the world, I still feel like a novice. I'm like a beginner here. So no, no, I don't expect that we're just going to magically become this diverse utopia singing. It's a small world after all. And we're, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. It takes work. But if we work to have the posture of Jesus, to think of others as better than ourselves, to give extra honor and care to the parts of the body that we might naturally want to just shrug aside. If we do that, if we're willing to make room and learn from people who see the world completely differently than ourselves, I believe that is when the body will start to become really strong and we can show our world that there is another way to live. Now, a part of me at this point wants to just give you a long list of all these like cultural tips and tidbits that I picked up along the way. And maybe that we'll, we'll do that someday, but not right now. What I want to do instead of giving you all these tips is just give you one, one very simple starting point that has to do with this posture of self-giving love. Here's what it is. When you encounter someone here at Grace from another culture. And by the way, I'm speaking to, to everybody. If you are from another culture than American and you encounter an American, all of us, if we had this, this question in our mind, this is where we begin. And this is the question. How can I elevate your voice in my life? How can I elevate your voice in my life? That's the question that I think can transform us if we're willing to ask it. Grace Church, let's make room for the gifts of everybody, of every culture that God has so intentionally planted here. Even if, yes, it's going to take a bit of extra work. Let's pray. Well, Father, it is, I was already overwhelmed with the challenges and the, and the seeming difficulties, maybe even impossibilities of becoming a church that makes room for people with disabilities. But now suddenly, this seems even more ridiculous. To be a church that is multicultural and intercultural and, and to have people of, of different ethnicities and nationalities and languages worshiping as one, it, it does seem, to my feeble human mind, it seems like it's just a, a pipe dream. And yet, 
And yet, I don't believe that anything you have done here at Grace, even over these last 10 to 15 years, I don't believe that it's a mistake. And if it's not a mistake, and if you are intentionally shaping us in just such a way, I pray, Father, that we would simply have open eyes, open hearts, and open minds to pursue that. Would you, with the power of your Spirit, give us the humility that we need to pay attention to others, to elevate the voices of others, and especially when it comes to the other cultures in our midst, would you give us the courage to ask how we can elevate the voices of others in our lives? Thank you, Father, for the gift of this community. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.